Part 8 of Ingersoll on Voltaire from the works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume 3, Lecture 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ingersoll on Voltaire, Part 8, The Second Return. For four hundred years the Bastille had been the outward symbol of oppression. Within its walls the noblest had perished. It was a perpetual threat. It was the last and often the first argument of king and priest. Its dungeons, damp and rayless, its massive towers, its secret cells, its instruments of torture, denied the existence of God. In 1789, on the 14th of July, the people, the multitude, frenzied by suffering, stormed and captured the Bastille. The battle cry was, Vive Voltaire! In 1791, permission was given to place in the Pantheon the ashes of Voltaire. He had been buried 110 miles from Paris. Buried by stealth, he was to be removed by a nation. A funeral procession of a hundred miles. Every village with its flags and arches, all the people anxious to honor the philosopher of France, the savior of Kala, the destroyer of superstition. On reaching Paris, the great procession moved along the Rue Saint-Antoine. Here it paused, and for one night upon the ruins of the Bastille rested the body of Voltaire, rested in triumph, in glory, rested on fallen wall and broken arch, on crumbling stone still damp with tears, on rusting chain and bar and useless bolt. Above the dungeons dark and deep, where light had faded from the lives of men, and hope had died in breaking hearts, the conqueror resting upon the conquered. Throned upon the Bastille, the fallen fortress of night, the body of Voltaire, from whose brain had issued the dawn. For a moment, his ashes must have felt the Promethean fire, and the old smile must have illuminated once more the face of death. The vast multitudes, bowed in reverence, hushed with love and awe, heard these words uttered by a priest, God shall be avenged. The cry of the priest was a prophecy. Priests, skulking in the shadows, with faces sinister as night, ghouls in the name of the gospel, desecrated the grave. They carried away the ashes of Voltaire. The tomb is empty. God is avenged. The world is filled with his fame. Man has conquered. Was there in the 18th century a man wearing the vestments of the church, the equal of Voltaire? What cardinal, what bishop, what priest in France raised his voice for the rights of men? What ecclesiastic, what nobleman took the side of the oppressed, of the peasant? Who denounced the frightful criminal code, the torture of suspected persons? What priest pleaded for the liberty of the citizen? What bishop pitied the victims of the rack? Is there a grave of a priest in France on which a lover of liberty would now drop a flower or a tear? Is there a tomb holding the ashes of a saint 
from which emerges one ray of light. If there be another life, a day of judgment, no god can afford to torture in another world the man who abolished torture in this. If God be the keeper of an eternal penitentiary, he should not imprison there the men who broke the chains of slavery here. He cannot afford to make an eternal convict of Voltaire. Voltaire was a perfect master of the French language, knowing all its moods, tenses, and declinations. In fact and in feeling, playing upon it as skillfully as Paganini on his violin, finding expression for every thought and fancy, writing on the most serious subjects with the gaiety of a harlequin, plucking jests from the crumbling mouth of death, graceful as the waving willows, dealing in double meanings that covered the asp with flowers and flattery, master of satire and compliment, mingling them often in the same line, always interested himself and therefore interesting others. Handling thoughts, questions, subjects as a juggler does balls, keeping them in the air with perfect ease, dressing old words in new meanings. Charming, grotesque, pathetic, mingling mirth with tears, wit and wisdom, and sometimes wickedness, logic, and laughter. With a woman's instinct, knowing the sensitive nerves, just where to touch. Hating arrogance of place, hating the stupidity of the solemn snatching masks from priest and king, knowing the springs of action and ambition's ends, perfectly familiar with the great world, the intimate of kings and their favorites, sympathizing with the oppressed and imprisoned, with the unfortunate and poor, hating tyranny, despising superstition, and loving liberty with all his heart. Such was Voltaire writing Oedipus at seventeen, Irene at eighty-three, and crowding between these two tragedies the accomplishment of a thousand lives. From his throne, at the foot of the Alps, he pointed the finger of scorn at every hypocrite in Europe. For half a century, past rack and stake, past dungeon and cathedral, past altar and throne, he carried with brave hands the sacred torch of reason whose light at last will flood the world. End of Part 8 The Second Return Recording by Brian Levine, Burbank, California End of Ingersoll on Voltaire From the Works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume 3, Lectures